If you use the internet on a daily basis, and chances are you do, you probably don't put much thought into cybersecurity. You know, your network connections, the pages you visit, the files you download. You should be thinking about these all the time. Welcome to And Security for All. Your host is Kim Hakem. We're here to help you understand, in general terms, how and why your cybersecurity should be kept in check. Now, here is Kim Hakem. I'm actually not Kim. Uh, so Kim is out this week. My name is Steve Winterfeld. I'm guest hosting. Uh, Kim will be back on the 12th, so not the next week, but the, after that, she'll be out in Orange County. So, um, But I'm really excited to be here. Uh, it's been a great week. I, I, like most of you, enjoyed a, a great 4th of July, and I'm really excited to be here. I originally talked to Kim about coming on and talking about a report we did. But uh, Kim asked me to host, so I brought on another expert. Let me introduce you to my uh, co-host, Sean. So, Sean, please introduce yourself to everybody. Sure. Uh, Sean Flynn, Director of Security Technology at Akamai. Uh, been in cybersecurity for about 20 years. Been with Akamai for 11 of those. Um, kind of got my start uh, implementing the security solutions and, and, and fighting the attacks uh, for, for web applications, and then kind of moved into, uh, after several uh, other positions, into the position I'm in now where I get to work with companies and our product group to make sure that we are um, designing the, the right products for uh, meeting our customers' challenges when it comes to security, not just for today, but also uh, for the challenges tomorrow. Awesome. So. Um... The report that came out is around apps and APIs, uh, and I know it's one of the state of the internet reports. Talk to me a little bit about you know the security platform that you guys get this data from, and uh, just a little bit about how you guys did this research. Sure. So I think Akamai is probably most well known for being a content delivery network. Uh, we were actually the first content delivery network uh, back in, gosh, 1998 we got our start. Um, and if you fast forward to now, we've, we've grown and uh, in size to the point where now we're 30% uh, of all worldwide web traffic goes through, through Akamai. Um, somewhere along the way, we were asked to, by our customers, to get more involved in security. And we've grown that kind of security division now to about 20 different uh, security products. And what that allows us to do is use that technology to really analyze the traffic going across the Akamai platform. And that's where we get the data for reports like uh, the state of the internet is by analyzing the traffic from a, a security slant to identify things. In this particular one, it was to identify application and API attacks. So, and, um, and I think I know this, but I always want to kind of ask that question because, you know, we say API, application programming interface, we say apps or web pages. Um, kind of walk me through, are these the same thing as from a, an attack perspective and a defense protect, def perspective, um, or what's the difference? Okay, so when you think about web applications, that traditionally is the thing that the end user is going to interact with. So if you may, if you're on a mobile device, you're interacting with an application on the on the on the phone. If you are on a browser, you'll be inter interacting with it uh, at the browser level. 
Um, so web applications are kind of think about it. That's what the end user is interacting with. APIs, though, is is a communication mechanism. It is a communication mechanism where an application can talk to itself using APIs and make calls, uh, talk to other applications, and that's really one of the strengths of APIs and why it has been uh, adopted so quickly and uh, is kind of dominating when it comes to uh, application communication. And um, and allows us to, uh, you know, take an application that might have a completely different architecture and software and allow it to communicate with another application that has a completely different application and, and architecture and do it in a really easy and quick way. Uh, that's the strength of APIs and that's for the most part um, what APIs are used for. Yeah, I'll get into my way back machine here and talk about when I was the CSO for Nordstrom Bank and managed a lot of Nordstrom's uh, security infrastructure. Uh, and so we you know, had an idea that we would just sell things from Nordstrom directly on Pinterest. And that was months of work and coordinating infrastructure. And if we changed something, it would break. If they changed something, it would break. And, and all that effort and that maintenance. And, and I'm not sure if it was a good return on investment because it was, you know, uh, it was an experiment. It took a lot of work to get there. And then people didn't necessarily go to Pinterest to shop. And, and so today, something like that would be, you know, we would publish an API or Pinterest would publish an API. And it would be easy to kind of reach out and, and take our, our, my wife's still mad that I left that discount, take Nordstrom's, um, you know, whatever they were to sell, shoes, and and Pinterest and and just kind of link those together really quickly. Yeah, I think, uh, honestly, I think that's a great example. One that I, I hear that it kind of is a, is kind of a uh, a great way to look at it. And it was kind of my aha moment was when it was explained to me was like, let's say you've got an application, you've got a running application, uh, all about running, and you want to make sure that you're providing weather for your end users so they're not running in the rain. Um, how would you do that? You know, and you could go out to uh, a company that has a web application for weather and you sign an agreement with them. And at that point, um, as you mentioned, they publish the API. So they tell you exactly how to interact with their application. And within easily a day, I could actually create an application uh, or an API so that when somebody comes into my application, it gets their zip code, sends that through the API to the weather app weather app gives me the weather for that zip code and then I send it back into my application. And something like that is now something you can do in days, whereas, as you mentioned before, it would have been this massive collaboration. Now, as I put on my evil hacker hat, then I'm really excited. You've put these hooks out there for me to hook in and use. And so I think that's where where we've seen this, this shift is, uh, you know, it, it's great from a business point of view, but it also, just like anything else, we see threat attackers and, and criminal groups taking advantage of this. So as you guys did your research, kind of walk me through some of the things that you found that were either surprising or interesting in your research. So, and it's funny that you're, you talk about the API and, and obviously the hacker hat. Um, API growth is... Uh, is exponential in a sense. Uh, if you look at 
what goes across the Akamai platform right now, I think we're now at 83% of all of our worldwide web traffic is API traffic. So it is the dominant communication right now. Five years ago, it might've been 30%. Now it's the majority. Um, and with that, we're also seeing a, a massive increase in the, um, the API attacks that um, come with that. So the more reliant uh, developers are with APIs, the more uh, it's, it, it's opening up an attack vertical uh, by focusing on those APIs. Yeah, first of all, it makes me laugh. Like the first thing that flashed in my head when you said the most traffic is back, and I can't put a date on this, but back when I heard the report that the majority of the traffic on the internet was spam. Um, so it's nice to see we at least pass that mark. Um, so as I, as I think through all this, and you're, you're talking about this, yeah, as, as we move to APIs, we put more data out there. There's more you know, revenue from a hacker's point of view or cyber criminal's point of view, um, be it revenue, be it whatever business model they're using. Um, what, is, what else was in this report that caught your eye? So I, I think it's important to kind of at least talk about um, the differences between application type attacks and API attacks, just to uh, make sure everybody's on the same page because they are different. And part of what we're going to get into or part of some of the, the information that we see is uh, focusing on kind of the differences between what is typically application attack and what's typically um, API abuse, I would say, attack because uh, they're very different. Uh, and when we, when we look at it, you know, application attack is, is trying to find a vulnerability within the application, and that might come across an API. The more APIs are out there, the more that might be a trans, uh, like the transmission mechanism. So if I wanted to attack um, a database, I might do a SQL injection attack, but put it into an API because that's how the database is going to receive it. So that's that's going to that's going to be in a, in a sense kind of an API attack, but it's really just using the the API as a transmission mechanism. Then there is API abuse, and that is very very different from your application abuse. Most of what we talk about when we say API abuse is about business logic flaws, um, flaws within the actual API. How is it structured? Uh, what was the security that was put on it? Is authenticating and, and authorizing correctly? Uh, in fact, it's so unique and so different that OWASP has now two separate categories. You've got your OWASP top 10 for applications, and then you've got your OWASP top 10 for APIs. And so when we talk about API attacks in this report, we're going to talk about kind of a combination. Yes, we're seeing application-based attacks that go through the APIs, but we also need to focus on the API abuse because that is one of the biggest growing uh, attack vectors out there. Interesting. Uh, and, and you talk about the old OWASP and, and that had the SQL injection, the local file inclusion, the cross-site scripting. Are, are we still seeing those things? Oh, yeah. They're not going away. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It might be a little bit different order than, than what they have, but um, no, those are still... Uh, <laughs> you kind of go back to like how long has SQL injection been around, you know, 15, 20 years, still on there. Um, so no, those are still there. Um, what's different when you move into API though is the focus changes from um, kind of those injection type commands to more of, uh, is there a broken object level 
authentication or authorization? Are you doing API leakage by sending this massive uh, API with all this information and you're expecting the application to filter that little bit that you need, but what you end up sending is way too much information and information that an attacker can take advantage of. So um, very different types of attacks and different technologies need to be utilized to be able to uh, identify those attacks as well. So it's, it's, it's a completely different kind of uh, area. Yeah, and I mean, that gets into different coding practices, different infrastructure on, you know, Kubernetes and, and things like that. So obviously it opens up different threat vectors. But if I remember reading correctly, uh, local file inclusion is actually on the rise? Yes, so local file inclusion has been on the rise since 2021. Uh, if, we, if we kind of back up 10 years from then, um, what we used to see is SQL injection was the number one application vulnerability attack out there. And I would say within the last five or six years, local file inclusion got to a point where it was kind of head to head. So one month, local file inclusion was number one. The next month, it was SQL injection. That all changed in the middle of 2021. And there was this massive explosion in local file inclusion and uh, also a massive increase in cross-site scripting attacks because uh, they're, they're, what we're seeing is that they're being utilized kind of hand in hand. And just to kind of put in perspective, um, in 2022, we saw 5 billion SQL injection attacks. And you think, okay, that's a, that's a pretty decent amount. But we saw 17 billion local file inclusion attacks. So we're seeing that uh, local file inclusion has just exploded. Um, and it's interesting because it gives you an idea of the change in what attackers are going after. Um, SQL injection was all about data exfiltration. I want to go and I want to hit the database. I want to grab like credentials, things like that. I want to grab customer information, maybe sell it on the black market or hold them ransom or something like that. That's still there, but that's not where the majority of the, of the traffic is. The majority of the attacks are local file inclusion, which to kind of put it simply is, is trying to trick the application into exposing local files. Most common one would be like Etsy password. Um, you see that all the time when people are, are, or attackers are trying to test whether an application is vulnerable to it. If you got the hold of the Etsy password file, you had got a hold of credentials, you could actually compromise the server and then from there move into the network. So you have to ask yourself, why is, this, why is there a shift in motivation? Um, it used to be data exfiltration, now it's network penetration. And that really leads to where they're focusing now. Uh, attackers are now focusing more on, you know, what, what, what happens when you have network penetration? Advanced persistent threat might be one. Malware and ransomware is probably more common. And so we're seeing kind of an, a, a, a difference in what are, what are, the, what are the kind of the, the, the goods that uh, attackers are trying to get to. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. So you've covered the old OWASP, the new OWASP. Are there any new emerging threats or techniques you guys are seeing? So yeah, there is um, one of the things that we're seeing that's an emerging uh, threat is in pretty much the uh, remote code execution. So um, back in 2021, there was a vulnerability, uh, server-side request forgery. And it got really popular in 2021 due to a vulnerability in Microsoft Exchange. And um, so 
obviously Microsoft patched that that particular vulnerability, but what the vulnerability was able to do was allow you to execute remote code on those servers. And a group called Hafnium, before uh, the, the uh, Microsoft patched it, Hafnium was able to actually hit 60,000 different companies uh, utilizing this vulnerability and executing a, what we call a, a, a server-side request forgery. So it became so prominent that OWASP, uh, which was redoing their, their top 10 for applications, added uh, uh, server-side request forgery as number 10 because of, of uh, how prominent we're seeing kind of that emerging group. And along with server-side is the server-side um, template injection. They're, they're, they're very similar in what they're doing. But, um, you know, you might remember, Steve, back in December of 2021, a little thing called Log4j, right? So the Log4 shell, which is the vulnerability for Log4j, is taking advantage of and is allowing you to execute server-side template uh, injection, which then leads you to be able to execute code on a server. So we're starting to see more attacks trying to take advantage of, of these types of um, remote code execution uh, attacks. Another one that came right after Log4j was uh, Spring4 Shell, which was about four or five months afterwards. Another big vulnerability, uh, also looking to take advantage of server-side uh, template injection. So these types of injection followed by remote code execution is what we're seeing uh, increase now. In fact, server-side request forgery, we see about 14 million a day. So any other last thoughts on key insights before we move on? Yeah, I think one of the other things that I found interesting about this, and it kind of goes to the theme of, um, you know, as you add new technology to an industry, um, and that industry is going, great, this is new technology, I need to figure out how to use it and how to be efficient with it, you're also seeing attackers going, great, this is new technology, I need to figure out how to attack it. And um, one of those is in, um, in, in uh, 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 internet is, uh, or um, IoT devices. Internet so, things, yeah. Yeah. Um, so there are certain industries that are starting to rely more and more on Internet of Things, and we're noticing that there are more attacks on those Internet of Things. So as these industries are starting to get a hold of it, uh, attackers are realizing it's it's an area, it's another, it's a new attack factor for them, and they're starting to attack those Internet of Thing devices. Yeah, and and it's interesting when you talk about that. We have the Internet of Things, we have the uh, Internet of of medical devices. Uh, there, there's just such a plethora here. And if we were to do a show on DDoS, we would be talking about them being used on the attacker side to build oh, yeah. that. Um, so, so much here, you know, and, and this goes back to one of the key concerns around visibility, you know, um, do you, you know, it, it's one thing to try to keep track of servers, you know, it's another to keep track of open source software. It's another to keep track of, you know, hybrid cloud instances. It's another to try to keep track of internet of things devices. And some of these with real data or that are really on your network so, you know, it, it's the classic, uh, you know, going all the way back to your HVAC system being part of your network. Uh, all of this kind of ties back to the complexity we're facing today, such complex systems. 
how do you get visibility? How do you understand this? Absolutely makes sense on on the Internet of Things being a, a huge threat vector. Yeah. Yeah. And I think now, you know, I think companies are relying more and more on security solutions, not just to implement policy, but to also discover um, and be able to identify assets and technologies or, or communications so that it can they can then take action on it. Because one of the things that we always hear is um, when we talk to companies is lack of visibility, lack of visibility on the network, lack of visibility, maybe on APIs. Um, so, you know, there's there's more of a need now for uh, you can't just rely on people to simply, you know, write down a little notepad all your APIs or where all your IOTs are. There's got to be a way to be able to uh, identify all those things. And then, obviously, you want to have a security uh, component there to be able to uh, uh, kind of create policy and, and, and enforce policy on those things. So I'm going to say in a previous life it was so so far ago, but back when I was in defense contracting, I remember we would do those security assessments and and then we'd put them on the shelf for a year. Uh, now it's just how long is is a, a good you know? If you sit down and do a manual review of all those APIs, that's good for maybe a week. Uh, yeah. You know, so. I would say a day for some companies. Um, but it's just moving too fast, right? The the yeah. Uh, yeah. Have to do it in an automated way. Have to do it in a way that can be queried, that can be translated. I mean, it goes back to not. Most people can't look at firewall logs. They need some way to, to visualize that. So yeah, that for me, the, the holy grail has always been visualization. That situational awareness that you can go in and kind of understand that. So that, that, that is a huge change. That reminds me of, I, I had this conversation, I guess it was three weeks ago. I was brought in to help a, uh, a company just kind of flesh out their, their API security strategy. And it was the first time that all these different developers had gotten into the same call. Uh, so you had about three different groups. You had you know, the, the ones that did APIs, the ones that developed the application and so forth. And we're going through and we're, we're talking about security best practices. And then one group says, okay, so who has all the lists of all the internal APIs that we're currently using? And there was just silence. And then somebody kind of spoke up and said, yeah, we thought that was your group, you know? And, um, I bring that up because it's 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 kind of funny, but it's also kind of scary. But I also think it's I think it's it's not just that particular company. I think that is uh, a, something that you see in most companies nowadays. It's just that struggle to, especially in things like APIs, which are always changing, to have visibility into that. When I ran a vulnerability management program, I would have that conversation about servers. Where, who has a list of all the internet-facing servers? What's the process to get them? blessed to, to be deployed. You know, I've been on, uh, I've been in that meeting where we talked about where's our PCI data, our, our payment card industry, our credit card data. Yeah. Um, I, I think we've all been in versions of that discussion. Uh, so yeah, that, that does not surprise me at all. The one area, I had a similar uh, discussion with someone, which is um, where are the internal APIs? They had a good handle on the the, what I call north-south, the going out to customers externally facing, uh, but the internally or B2B, um, you know, that was kind of the wild west. And so it it is interesting, even when you think you have your your arms around it, then you pause and you, you ask a different aspect of the question. And then they realize, well, well, we really don't know what those are. We 
we just didn't consider those to be part of our, our risk portfolio that we would need to track those. So, um, yeah, that, that constant battle. Yeah, a lot of companies are have a lot of internal uh, APIs that are kind of, you, you mentioned north and south, so that would be east and west moving across the network. Uh, there are certain environments that are going to be very heavy in APIs. So if you're dealing with containers and, and Kubernetes types environments, all they do is communicate through API. So they're going to have perhaps hundreds of thousands of API calls uh, and, uh, you know, that you're seeing going across your network. You're also, as you mentioned, you know, are, are you consuming it? Like I mentioned the, 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 uh, the, the application for runners. Are you going out and consuming APIs? Well, are you, are you checking those APIs as you're bringing them in for, from a security perspective? And then obviously you've got the APIs that are going out to your application. So um, there is, you know, you, you've got to think of APIs more of as, as it is a, a newer communication method that we're seeing more and more adoption on. So you just can't focus on let's protect the web application that we that we're providing our, our, our customers. It, it's a much broader area. Yeah, I think we have uh, to use a bowling analogy, kind of bumper those bumper rails uh, to get the, the ball down the line. I think we got the, the bumper rails up or the guard rails up around a lot of our traditional uh, infrastructure. But this, you know, as, as we move into this, it is new. And some of this is new skill sets. I mean, a lot of this is around code. I remember having a discussion with an engineer who was great at deploying an antivirus server. And, and when they went over to talk to somebody, you know, that's doing this uh, serverless environment, doing APIs and talking to them about deploying an antivirus server, you know, it, it's not the right fit. It's not the right discussion. Uh, yeah. And so you had mentioned earlier, some of this requires different infrastructure. And with that comes different security controls. So absolutely, you know, some of this old stuff is around we have new threats, we have new infrastructure that is available to both new attacks and some of the traditional. We really, really have kind of drilled into the threats. Let's step back for a second and, and say, what industry trends have you said, you know, and, and were there differences in how the threats were impacting different industries maybe? Yeah, absolutely. There, the, the report covers several different industries. I think, um, Commerce comes to mind. Commerce was one of the industries that saw one of the biggest spikes in local file inclusion attacks that we had, we had talked about. In fact, there was a, over a 300% increase between 2021 and 2022 in that industry for local file inclusion. And the thought, I think, behind that, if we try to get into the attacker's head is, we know that a lot of uh, commerce companies were rushing during COVID to create new technology and new applications to be able to kind of pivot to more of a life online environment. Uh, and I think the reason why there was so much focus in commerce for local file inclusion was trying to take advantage of what they think might be a more softer area or more vulnerable area, which is you know, anything that's gonna be rushed um, might be potentially more vulnerable. So we saw a lot more of, of that activity um, with, with, with commerce. Um, and then, you know, because it's completely different with finance, for example. Um, what we saw in finance was, you know, we're seeing um, kind of a new trend in finance called embedded finance. And embedded finance is um, a lot of, lot of interest in embedded finance because the idea is it's going to make about $187 billion by 2027. So a lot of companies are interested in, 
And how do you embed finance into non-financial applications? Well, Steve, guess what they're going to have to do to communicate between different applications, right? Um, so that's your APIs. So um, what we saw is that we're seeing a trend. We saw a three and a half times increase in attack traffic in finance when it comes to uh, apps and APIs uh, from 2021 to 2022 with a lot of focus on, on those APIs. Yeah, and I would agree that, you know, on the commerce side, huge transformation. As business models were changing, as, as I was, you know, buying my groceries online all of a sudden, uh, you know, that that is a lot of information, my information, my credit card information, uh, the ability for them to, to, to do different kind of attacks there. And so that quick transformation, you know, when we, we think about you can do it uh, fast, cheap, or good, pick two, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's an opportunity during that rapid crisis transformation. And, and now is when you see some companies going back and, you know, trying to figure out what the next normal is or the new normal. And, and, but, but that need to rapidly transition in a secure way is going to be with us for a while. Um, yeah. And then on the finance side, yeah, I, I find the whole FinTech fascinating. You know, you've got um, people that are aggregating, you've got uh, the, you know, Facebook wants to make its own currency. I mean, pick your, your different innovation. But all this is, it's the same kind of thing is, you know, it's its trying to, to get a lot of, I'm going to, again, use some of my background here as a target-rich environment. Um, there's just so many opportunities here for cyber criminals to try to wedge themselves into these and that's where I think you see this explosion in the effort, you know, this updated series of attacks uh, and why we see so many attacks. Any other uh, verticals? Yeah. So, you know, I mentioned new technology and we're seeing that in, um, in um, our manufacturing industries. So it used to be that when it came to industrial controls, uh, manufacturing really relied on standalone hardware and software systems um, and didn't have a lot of connections uh, on the outside. And that's shifting now to Internet of Things. So Internet of Things gives them a lot more flexibility. There's a lot more data that's kind of being uh, transmitted kind of from the manufacturing floors. Uh, you get a lot more control, but it is also opening up uh, the, the, that possibility for getting that data, attacking those uh, Internet of Things are also reach, obviously uh, able to reach out to the Internet. And, you know, when we look at manufacturing, we actually saw kind of year over year, 76% increase in attack traffic. And that's concerning because manufacturing is tied so closely with supply chain. And I think we've all kind of gotten really tired of, from COVID, supply chain issues. We don't need uh, supply chain issues due to things like cyber attacks that um, could, could impact, uh, you know, your, your Amazon order or your grocery order. Yeah. Um, not that uh, the cyber criminals aren't calling and saying my Amazon order is delayed. All I need to do is call and give them all my information. Uh, but, but to, to truly delay, it would really be a travesty. I do find it interesting that, you know, there are different levels of maturity here. Uh, I'm a huge believer in, you know, this being a team sport, 
the financial services have an ISAC. Uh, the defense contractors or the defense industrial base have a, a very mature uh, information security sharing organization. Um, you know, there are some that are, are getting much better. Uh, and I, I would figure manufacturing is one that traditionally we don't think about them having as high a cyber risk profile as investing much in security controls. And, and how much of a driver do you think just, you know, I, I don't want to say easy target or, or low hanging fruit, but, you know, just that I can get there. Yeah, I mean, I think anytime there's new technology, and, and I don't, I, I, I don't want to necessarily pick on a particular industry, but because I could actually say that with API security too, that uh, we're we're behind not just as an industry, but in lots of industries when it comes to API security. Um, you know, anytime there's a new technology, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is you know, how do we use it? How can we implement it? How does it save us money or make us money? That's pretty common behavior. Um, Security doesn't usually come up necessarily with a lot of companies until, unfortunately, the attackers have figured out that attack vector and you start seeing those exploits. And, and then, then it becomes a, a problem when, when obviously there's, there's been either news of an attack that's similar to you know, things that you have or whether you've been attacked. Um, but, I, you know, so if we kind of take it back a step, I would say that any industry is kind of vulnerable to uh, when you get into new technology, is the very first thing you're thinking about security, and it's usually not, um, you know. And to be fair, I would even see when it comes to new technology, security vendors also have a little bit of uh, responsibility there too. I mean, I've talked to finance companies that say, "Hey, we've got this homegrown solution or this do-it-yourself solution," because when we needed a solution, there wasn't one that was a solid solution out there, so we had to make our own. So I think it's. I think it's kind of, you know, companies have to do a better job of understanding when there's new technology, there's new risk and seeing it that way. But I also think that, you know, security vendors could also be doing a better job of understanding the new technology is going to create risk. And what are we doing to uh, implement and get solutions out faster to, to help those companies? So the one industry you haven't talked about, which surprises me is healthcare. What's it look like there? So, uh, yeah. Um, Healthcare is using what we call Internet of Medical Things. And, you know, what's interesting about that is I saw, I saw a stat in this report that said that uh, approximately 15 to 20 devices uh, are using Internet of, of Medical, um, IO, IOMT, within a single uh, hospital room. So I was thinking about that, and they've got smart beds and ventilators and all these other devices. So you've got 20, you know, 15, 20 IoT devices in, in a single room. You know, what does that mean as far as, um, you know, network and access? And it's, I think it's great for the technology because it puts more information as to, you know, to, into, uh, into your fingertips. And I get test results back faster and a bunch of other stuff that's kind of neat. Um, but it is uh, uh, definitely a known uh, area of an attack for, for attackers. We are seeing an increase of 82% uh, year over year in healthcare from 2021 to 2022. Um, so that's another area that I think is starting, to, is starting to need to mature. Part of it is because of new technology. The other part of it is due to certain types of attackers that are trying to hit um, critical infrastructure. 
So you've got uh, the Ukraine war and you've got hacktivism and, and they're starting to become a more and more of a target because of, of where they are as far as critical infrastructure uh, within, the, within the countries. Yeah, and I would add to that, having talked to some of the hospital CISOs, there's a huge trend towards including wear, wearable medical devices and in-home medical devices, especially in the rural areas where, um, you know, they're just, there's a low bed count. And so the, it's truly distributed medicine and, and really opening up a number of, of I don't know if I want to say a tax, but uh, if we think of then again, putting on my evil hat, uh, what is the best uh, or what is the highest return on uh, investment? And that's, you know, PHI, healthcare information. And a lot of that's around insurance, as well as, you know, which industries are most likely to pay for not releasing data or to unencrypt data. Uh, and that's any of the critical providers, and nothing's more critical than life or death. Yeah. So really kind of a, a tough industry to be in because, again, traditionally didn't have as much of a budget, and and their budget is challenged throughout this uh, this whole healthcare crisis. I also think that it's a, it's a whole – if you think about APIs and going back to API abuse, you know, healthcare is very unique because there, there's such a need for sharing of data. Uh, you know, if you look at, you know, the, the payees versus the payers from an insurance perspective, you look at hospitals and doctors coming in and out, and um, there is a need for that medical information, that healthcare information to be um, shared from application to application, and they're doing that with APIs. So not only, you know, we're looking at Internet of, uh, you know, medical devices, Internet of Things from a medical perspective, but also, you know, from an API perspective, that is one area where, there's a lot of business partnerships that are critical that are needed to happen. Um, and, but you have to wonder like, you know, is that going to be the next target because uh, it's, there's so much data being transferred through APIs. So um, is, are you seeing this report echoed in other reports or, or, are these things unique kind of, how is this fitting into the ecosystem of research out there right now? Yeah, I think one example of that would be Gartner. Uh, Gartner um, predicted, and I think it was 2021, that in 2022, the most common attack vector for data breaches was gonna be API. And it turned out that after we reviewed 2022, they were absolutely correct. What's a little scary about their next prediction in this area is that they're predicting in 2024 that those API attacks are going to double. And um, so that's kind of one of the things we need to keep a track on and, and keep an eye out. It makes sense from the data that we're seeing um, that, you know, if you look at some of the biggest uh, uh, data breaches out in the last couple of years that were kind of kicked off by APIs, uh, they were very successful attacks. Some of them, you know, being able to take the entire customer base and, and steal that information by utilizing something as simple as, you know, broken object level authorization, where somebody logs in, says, okay, I'm going to create an account for me now that I'm authenticated with the application. What happens if I change my account number to somebody else's account number? Oh, look, I'm getting data back from, from somebody that's not me. And there's even some instances where um, some of those account numbers were sequential. 
So if you knew they were sequential, that means you know where they begin and end and you know everything in the middle. It's just a matter of time for you to be able to automate the APIs to be able to send them out and get every single customer's data. And that's what's happened. So when you start looking at those types of successful attacks, that, that, I see that as a motivation for attackers to say, there's got to be more APIs out there that have business logic flaws that we can really take advantage of. And I will just take a moment to pause and say, if anybody does have comments, feel free to, to throw them in here and we'll, we'll get to them. Um, yeah, it, it is frustrating. You know, engineers build things to work. Uh, and then when you see somebody, you know, come take advantage of something like sequential, which makes sense from a builder's point of view, sure. being a vulnerability, it is, it is really hard and goes back to that thing that I keep banging this drum on, you know, secure coding practices uh, and just trying to close down all those vulnerabilities. So um, talked a lot about threats, great insights on industry. Let's take the last part of the show and help me understand what should we be doing with this information? How can I leverage this to be more secure? So uh, as far as this particular data and any data where you're seeing like, hey, here's a new, here's a new report on emerging threats. I think one of the things that I would recommend is, uh, are you sharing this kind of data with your defenders? Um, are you testing? So you've got pen tests, you've got hunters, you've got playbooks, all of those need to be updated. So when you have a new report come out, um, you know, in, in certain areas, you need to be saying, do I have a check mark? Can I look and say, okay, yeah, service-side request forgery. That's a new one for me. What are we doing about it? How are we handling that? Are we testing for it? So sharing information and then utilizing, hey, any of these reports, if you just look at the report and then go to the next report and then go to the next report, I think it's overwhelming. But if you just kind of start to take the data and saying, okay, we got to move that over to the playbook. We got to make sure that this is up to date. Um, so updating your defenders and, and your playbooks and, and your testers so that they are testing for these new emerging threats is, is critical. Yeah. And, and I agree. I used to do that. I would say, okay, these server side attacks. All right. I need my red team or my pen tester to come in. I need you to do that. I need to make sure it, logged and set off an alert. I need to make sure the SOC saw the alert and took the appropriate action. I then need to take that and use that to reinforce better coding practices or micro-segmentation or whatever mitigation technique you want to use. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I like that full life cycle of a threat like that. It really makes sense. What yeah. else? So I don't think it would be a good security podcast if you don't mention patching. Um, and I bring it up and you think, oh, not again, patching, if you, if you listen to enough of these. But, you know, I saw an interesting stat recently from Tenable that said that, you know, 72% of companies are still vulnerable to the Log4j vulnerabilities. Well, that happened, we know, we just talked about it in December of 2021. It's now beginning of July of 2023, 72% of companies are vulnerable, which means 72% of companies haven't patched all those all of those vulnerabilities so again to re-push that out there to uh probably the, the, the choir and, and and maybe this particular podcast you got to have timely patching um and then kind of to add to that 
I think some one of the things that we learned from Log4j was you need to have a security control to give you that timely patching, you know, buy you time. So having a security control that can give you the ability to mitigate an attack while you're patching. Log4j might be an example, like would be a WAF, would give you the ability to, to block that request that would get to that server while you had time to uh, update those servers. And I know recently with like the move it attack, uh, there were WAFs that uh, were out there kind of blocking those initial attacks until a patch was released. Uh, you know, you talk about rapid patching, you know, I fondly remember when we had two or three weeks between a, a vulnerability being announced and it being operationalized in the wild. Now it's hours. Um, you know, if, if they weren't notified beforehand, then you may have uh, a week or two before you get the patch. So what's that interim step to, to kind of mitigate that? And I think those are, again, great exercises to think through. Um, you know, as you're thinking through your, your zero day playbooks, it is what is a, a third party? Because that's probably more vendor management. Uh, what is it around uh, a protocol? What is it around, you know, all these different ways you can have it um, and then being able to have that be a team response. Great insight. Yeah. Next. Uh, so the next one would be um, kind of, I would say from, from more of an API perspective, it would be, you know, thinking about, do you know where all your APIs are? Do you understand your risk exposure when it comes to APIs? Uh, are you prioritizing and ensuring that you have controls to cover the OWASP top 10 for APIs. I think that's that's a great benchmark to see, you know, where are you with API abuse? If you can say that you're covered under all, you know, all 10 of the of the OWASP top 10 for API, I, I think that's a, a that's a great starting point. And that's maybe what you should be looking at as a goal uh, when it comes to API security. So great broad advice, but let's drill into that for a second. So we've said a couple times, you know, we need we need better coding. So for number one on the list, I think is broken auth. What should we be telling our developers to do to prevent that from being a vulnerability? Well, I mean, so I look at it as security has to be part of the development. So when you're talking about like a, an example might be like a, a JSON web token um, and you're implementing that as part of your API security, you know, is, have you thought about, you know, tokens versus encryption? Have you thought about that authentication flow and risk exposure? Where could there be risk within that flow? Uh, are you using secure algorithms? Uh, are you storing sensitive data in payloads? Um, are you doing something like a key ID parameter injection? Is that something that you've taken into consideration? These are all very technical, but this is something that you've got to start walking through when you start thinking about um, APIs and securing them is, is you know, where is that risk? And you gotta, I mean, the reason why we have those those those, those teams, you know, the, the the blue and red, is you, you got to start putting that security attack hat on and start looking at it and saying, how can I, how can somebody take advantage of this the way it's set up? So again, I'm hearing on the APIs, we have the preventive side, you know, shift left, get into the coding, more secure coding, uh, and then, you know, have have your WAF or or whatever your security control have hooks to be part of the you know, development pipeline rather than, you know, bolted on afterwards. So that shift left first. And then the second half of that is 
you know, detect and respond. So that is all of your more traditional, you know, WAF or, or API protection uh, controls. Uh, is that all right? Did I get all that right? Yeah, and I would definitely enforce that it's 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 two separate things. You know, the WAF is great about identifying application vulnerabilities um, and doing it with APIs as well, usually uh, depending on the solution. Um, but not great at being able to identify business logic flaws. So having solutions that are able to identify those business logic flaws to be able to look at how attackers or um, uh, somebody might be looking at exp um, uh, abusing your APIs, whether it's data harvesting or, uh, you know, we're seeing that with account takeover. You know, some of the challenges we're seeing is, uh, you know, if you know you've got machines that are trying to log in, how do you tell the difference between a good machine and a bad machine? And that's a real challenge for a lot of companies. And part of that is having a solution that can actually um, look at behavior and identify anomalies and uh, kind of go back to... Um, kind of a buzzword, but you know, having solutions that have machine learning so that they can spot the outliers, spot the anomalies uh, is critical when it comes to APIs. They're just, it's a more complex, uh, nuanced attack. You need more than simply a, a check to see if there's a SQL injection present. Well, for those playing buzzword bingo, you did say machine learning, but you didn't add artificial intelligence. So you only, you only got half the, well, I guess now that I said it, we can check that block, but you need to say those together. I thought there was a rule about that. Uh, I need to also mention synergy at some point. Too, there, right? there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, so talk to me then. Earlier you mentioned some best practices around the, the WAF themselves. Um, and, and so what should people do thinking about as they configure and deploy their WAFs? So, you know, the good news, the, you know, because we're talking a lot about <laughs> the bad news. The good news is that I think WAF is a very mature solution. I think a lot of industries are, are implementing WAF. There's a lot of compliance and, and uh, that kind of enforced making sure that you have it. PCI comes to mind. have to have a WAF if you want to be PCI compliant. So the good news is I think there's a lot of companies that have WAFs. But then the question is, are you using it? Is it up to date? Is it in deny? Um, these types of solutions um, or the, these types of attacks, and especially as we're seeing zero days come in and the threat landscape change so often, it's really critical that, number one, you're in mitigation mode. You simply don't have time to do a full-blown investigation, realize that there was uh, an, an attack. Uh, it's, just, it, it's just by that time, it's too late. So part of it is, are you in mitigation? The other piece is, are you up to date? And I've talked to... to uh, you know, uh, CISOs out there that they said, you know, one of the biggest solutions I have is keeping up with all these, or one of the problems I have is keeping up with all these solutions. And I can't even tell you how many of them are, are currently up to date um, with, with rules and things. It's just, it's, it's, it's getting out of control. This is kind of the, the response. So, you know, that's, those are the two things I would say. You have a WAF, great. Are you using it? Is it in line? Are you, are you denying? Yeah, I will tell you that uh, there was a survey. I'm blocking who put it out right now, but a company of around 500 people probably has 76 different security controls. Uh, you know, and as I think about my life as a CISO, I thought I was going to be doing security, and I spend a lot of time doing vendor management. So, yeah, it is hard to get all those optimized. 
I think that's why when we heard uh, the concept of of SASE or vendor consolidation or reduction, uh, a lot of a lot of my peers are talking about that. Um, you know, how can we move towards reducing complexity in that? In fact, uh, I just wrote an article in Security Boulevard on on that because it really is becoming kind of an Achilles heel for us. Um, any other thoughts on general best practices uh, for you know security operations centers or broader security programs? Um, you know, going back to some of the things that I think we you might have mentioned. I, I love the idea of that you mentioned the SBOM, still relevant. There's still open source software out there. It's great for zero days and making sure that you're addressing vulnerable software. And if I didn't say it, SBOM stands for Software Build of Materials. Yes, and I, I should have said that as well. Um, that would be one of them. And then just how, you know, I've noticed that playbooks are just so critical. Um, if, if it's not in the playbook and you're under pressure, there's a really good chance you're going to make a mistake. If it's in the playbook and you're under pressure, but you know how to follow one and then two and then three, um, it, it, it's going to save a tremendous amount of time when there are attacks present. So just, again, it's like making sure that you are keeping all of this information up to date, um, that, you, that you have the right contacts. I can't tell you how many stories I hear where the playbook doesn't, you know, half the people have, have moved on to different positions or aren't even in the company. And those were the contacts that are in the playbook. So. So and I would I would say not only the playbook, but the second half of that sentence is that has had a recent exercise to validate it, a validated sure. playbook. The point of contacts are up to date. Uh, if you have a third party doing something, you know, it's even more important if you're using an MSSP or, you know, a lot of people outsource their DDoS kind of, of specialty. All of those are so critical to make sure the SLAs are there, the notification agreements are there. Uh, yeah, just a, a great recommendation. So we're coming up to the very end. So um, any final thoughts? I think that most industries are doing great when it comes to web application firewall and a lot of what we came and, and provided this report can be mitigated by that. I think the area of concern when I talk to most industries and talk to most uh, companies uh, is that most companies are behind on API abuse security. So I think if there's anything to get out of that is that, you know, you, you need to focus on where is your exposure with your APIs? Do you have the ability? We've got Gartner saying, you know, it's going to be, it's, those attacks are going to double and they're already the most common ways to do data breaches. What are you doing about your APIs? Yeah. And I will echo that, uh, you know, we talked a lot today about uh, APIs, completely agree. Situational awareness, uh, I think that is another huge one. Um, thank you so much for coming on and sharing the report. I really appreciate that. I also want to say that um, thank you for everybody joining us, or if you're watching later on, thanks for spending this hour with us. Uh, Kim will be back in uh, two weeks on the 12th out in Orange County at that event. So dial back in then. But uh, thanks again for the show and have a great weekend. Thank you for tuning into And Security for All. Be sure to join your host, Kim Hakem, for another episode of the show next Friday at noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. And don't forget, you can follow Kim on LinkedIn by searching for Kim Hakem. That's Kim, H-A-K-I-M, 
to keep yourself posted on all of her upcoming cybersecurity events. Are you a cybersecurity professional that needs to earn continuing educational hours? FutureCon Events brings high-level cybersecurity training discovering cutting-edge security approaches, managing risks in the ever-changing threat of the cybersecurity workforce. Cybersecurity is no longer just an IT problem. To learn more about attending a virtual event, go to futureconevents.com or email info at futureconevents.com or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at FutureConHQ. Don't miss the weekly FutureCon seamless podcast series focusing on the insights and thoughts of chief security officers and industry pioneers making a difference throughout the world. Kim Hakem, CEO of FutureCon Events, and Darren Anderson, CEO and co-founder Next Robotics, host seamless podcast started by a team of entrepreneurs with experience in fields like smart cities, technology, cybersecurity. The result is a series of podcasts unlike anything you've ever heard anywhere. Listen where you get your podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher.